With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is the Friday show, Neil Atkinson with Harriet Pryor, Paul Dehaney and Stu Wright. Coming up, we've got Rich Ferraro and James Roach. They will be on the phone uh, joining us to talk about Nottingham Forest and Bournemouth, respectively. But the biggest game of the weekend, and I'd argue it could prove to be the most significant of the season so far, is Tottenham Hotspur versus Liverpool. Paul Dehaney, you were on last week with us in the build-up to the North London derby, so I don't want to take you over a lot of old ground, but... It felt like a significant two-all draw. It was what you predicted as well uh, prior to the game. Um, it came to pass, and it felt like a bit of a statement performance. It was. I mean, I think a lot of the questions that I asked before the game on the last show were about how are we going to deal with um, being playing against a team, an elite team, who are going to put us under extreme pressure. The fans are going to be very partisan. Um a lot of players in our team hadn't played in the North London derby before. Manager hadn't managed in the North London derby before. So there's more questions and answers. So it, there was a bit of trepidation going into it because I personally didn't know how the team were going to react. So after the first half, I thought it was going to revert to type. They get their goal and, you know, Spurs kind of collapse under constant pressure. But, you know, we stood up well. As soon as they scored their goal, we almost reacted and, you know, created a couple of chances before we finally did score when Son scored the equaliser. And then the second half, I thought that we, we were the better team. And I think most Arsenal supporters, um, to their credit, have uh, alluded to, to such. Um, what impressed me most of all was, I thought, one of the questions I also asked was, would we have a plan B? I don't think we needed one because the plan B was plan A, which was basically stick to the game plan, do what we do, keep the ball, get the ball back as quickly as possible when we lose it, give it to one of your mates, try and score a goal. And I thought that the fact that we were so calm in such a hostile atmosphere and we kept our heads, you know, the fact that Adogi got booked uh, very early against Saka, you know, that's usually a cue to to get him taken off before he gets sent off or Saka rips him to pieces. But no, he stood up and in the end, Saka was chasing him back because he was pushing him, pushing him forward. So, so, so many, you know, the fact that it's a derby it is obviously great to get a, a good result in a place that we don't particularly do well. 
But t- taking the game in isolation and just putting it against the top um, top six side, I thought that uh, we acquitted ourselves really well, and I was really proud. It's one where looking at them and going through them, there's the th- first thing I noticed because obviously Liverpool were playing at the same time, so we couldn't watch that game live, and I love watching that game live. But when I looked up after the fact and looked at the stats and saw the highlights, one of the things that struck me was Tottenham actually had more possession. They had the ball more than Arsenal. And that, on Arsenal's own ground. And I think this is a key detail here. Now, a lot of that possession was along the back line. A lot of that possession was relatively deep. A lot of that possession was looking after the ball and building play at Tottenham's own pace. But it's still it's still remarkable to me that the side that finished second last season in their home derby, Tottenham had more of the ball. I think there were some mitigating circumstances. I think that... You know, as well as you know, as well as we performed, you know, Arsenal had some key injuries uh, before the game and throughout the game, and also the fact that Arsenal haven't played Champions League football for seven years is definitely going to have an effect. It's not the same as uh, Europa League week and almost like rest, you know, half a dozen yeah, yeah. players and still come through the game comfortably. You can't do that in the Champions League because you will get spanked by anyone if you're if you're not at the races. So the fact that they had to pay. He's playing that balancing game now of what's more important. And at the moment to Arsenal, both are just as important. Even though they haven't won a league, they probably think we might have more chance of winning the Champions League than the league. So we don't want to... There's no kind of corners to cut here. So from from those points of view from Arsenal, I think they were a little bit flatter than what they've normally been. And, and, and not a lot, but just enough to, 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 to be below par, which, which went into our favour. Um, so yeah, as as much as I'm um, delighted with the performance, so there were some mitigating circumstances with uh, playing Arsenal. That day. Seems a bit like the centre half partnership uh, comes out of it. You know, obviously Romero has the misfortune with the own goal, but it doesn't set them back. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't it, it doesn't knock them sideways. Both centre backs acquitted themselves well. I think that was one of all of Spurs fans' biggest fears was we we weren't really worried uh, with the acquisition of Madison and and. Um, the options we have up front, we weren't really worried about the fluency going forward and uh, the creativity of chances. It was the concession of chances and how our defence looked a bit untried and untested with Van der Ven and Adogi. And then Porro is normally a wing back, he's playing in a four. And then obviously Romero is probably the only mainstay. And he had some rash moments last season. But I was just talking to Stu. Uh, and I was saying that I think the fact that Romero's become a little bit more disciplined is the fact that he's got Van der Ven beside him, who's got pace. He's not um, making any rickets, and I thought he's probably the best defender um, on uh, against Arsenal at the weekend. So um, that gives me a lot more confidence moving forward and talking about the Liverpool game uh, in particular. Yeah, I've got kind of two comments slash questions, I guess, to come back to you on Paula or for anyone. But the first is, with Kane leaving, I think a lot of the focus, obviously, last season was getting the ball to him and him being that outlet. Do you feel like Tottenham have become a bit more of an unpredictable beast in terms of how they play and the forward options they've got? You just spoke about some of them there. The fact that there is so much creativity in that forward line and they haven't just got to look at Kane, but they can think about how they can play the ball more across that forward line and use midfielders as well as, as, well as in more in part of that build-up play. Do you feel like that's made actually a step up and a big difference in the absence of Kane and, and a lot of credit I must go to Postacoglu for that and adapting the system so well to to be without him yeah I mean it's almost like the the players 
when Kane were there, almost wanted to give the ball to him because they knew what he could do. And it's almost like people have had to take responsibility. But you're right, there are so many options. I, I basically think we can score from anywhere on the pitch at the moment, and that's including the centre-backs. You know, I really do feel there's a lot of firepower there. And there are also the options coming off the bench as well. You know, if you've got sort of six um, forward players that you can choose from, you know, with you... Uh, yourselves mm. how much that makes a difference because it keeps like I feel like people like Kuliseski for instance have stepped up in recent weeks because he knows that Brennan Johnson's there or Solomon's there if he isn't so um and then Charlison now seems to kind of got back his mojo a little bit and obviously Son's on fire so We've got a lot, of, lot of options all around the pitch now, and definitely, I feel like the onus isn't just on one or two players to score goals now. Feels like from the outside looking in, it feels like um, post Kane with the new manager, who everyone loves. Um, it feels like there's you're riding a wave at the moment, a feel good factor, but that's. That feels like a combination of how Andrew's got you playing, how it feels like the last few years has come to a conclusion. You've you've reached your um, the bottom of of the well, if you like, and now you you know you've been pulling yourselves out, and it looks loads of fun. And I've I've heard people, I think I've heard Neil say uh, at times that this feels a little bit like. Tottenham just going back to a place where let's just enjoy the season and if everyone's enjoying themselves uh, and enjoys watching them that's a success in itself and I think because of that going into the Arsenal game it felt like almost it can never be this because it's a derby but away from home at Arsenal it almost felt like a free hit and I think that makes Tottenham a really dangerous animal I, I, I think that going into our game at the weekend I think because the pressure isn't on Tottenham. You're at home in this. Um, and people, you know, everyone is looking to see how long this this run can continue. When is, is the bubble going to burst? When's it going to burst? But the, the feel-good factor is overriding that. And I, I don't, from the outside looking in, it doesn't feel like Tottenham players and management feel under pressure at all going into this game I don't think Liverpool are either massively but I think Liverpool have got more at stake because Liverpool have challenged and won the title in the last few years and Liverpool and would consider themselves as title challenges yeah, really I, I would have thought well I think I think Liverpool are at that point that now in this season where everyone's looking on and they're waiting to see what we do against you and I think a draw I think a lot of Liverpool fans myself included would would consider that you know, a, a potentially a good result, and would be tempted to shake hands on it before the game. But I think there is that that sense of okay, Liverpool, show us what you can do at Tottenham, and then we can really start talking about taking you seriously. I think there is potentially a little bit of a sense of that, but it just feels like Tottenham are completely freed up, and because of that, that wave that you ride and feels like it could become a tidal wave. Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see how the players t take it in terms of do they think it, they've got a free rider? Do they think, you know, they're just going to see how it goes and then when the adversity comes, it, you know, it all goes wrong? Or are they thinking to themselves, you know, because you, you've got to remember it's a new manager, but it's also essentially a new team mm -hmm. who aren't used to losing, who aren't used to being Spursy, as they say. Um, so, you know, that that's going to help 
massively, I think, moving forward, that we don't they don't carry that baggage. And one little stat I did here was I think Liverpool are the only team to have not lost at our new stadium or that we haven't beaten at our new stadium. So that's something that's um, bothering me a bit. Yeah, there's like, me withdrawing my hand for the shaking hands. <laughs> the right there. That's enough for me. The atmosphere yeah. will be up, though, I think, when it's Saturday night. Oh, and definitely. off the back of the 2-2 uh, at, at the Emirates, there'll be a real sense of, let's do it. Yeah, I think it'll be bouncing there, um, especially with the feel-good factor um, around the club at the moment. Um, what was the other point I was going to make? Yeah, I think that um, in terms of Liverpool, Spurs, the the history in recent years, I think going back 10 years, maybe longer, has been like awful for us. So, Neil, I'm sure you'll tell me that we probably... Yep. Haven't won at all in that time. I can't check remember. it, but no, I think it's been sometimes. I think time the I'm last there. time I can remember was when we beat you at Wembley. It's the four-one at Wembley, four-one, which is now twenty seventeen. Well, yeah, so that's a that's a long time, and I think if you go back before that, there's probably not many wins as well. So, home or away, it's not been um, a, a good fixture of us in recent years, and I, I used to come into it with a lot of trepidation, or I always have in recent years, but. Not so much this weekend, and I'm not saying going saying I'm going there bullish, but I I feel a little bit more confident that we're going to give a ca- good account of ourselves and not just fold like we normally do. You're in that stage of your evolution where you can shake off the defeat, can't you? Because it's right at the beginning. You're not seven years into Pochettino or whatever. You know what I mean? You you're you're at the beginning and you've made such a good start and you're playing really good football and everyone's really enjoying themselves. And if you get beat by one of the title challenges, even if it is at home, it does feel like. The, the manager, the team, they can shake that off quite quickly. The, the, the fans will be still be looking at the green shoots all over the pitch. So uh, I, I think, you know... That was the point I was going to make. Um, four of our six games this season have been away from home, um, which is quite unusual. Normally there's a, a bit more of a balance than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, for me, has been quite impressive considering uh, it's a new team that we've been able to go. Because I think, you know, literally every Premier League away ground or away game can be difficult if you let it get to you so that, I think the fact that we got a home game and, and we should have a nice run of home games coming up is it's going to be good moving forward another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where Bank of America can help for your financial to-dos Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Liverpool perspective, um, Harry, I suspect we can pick much of the team. Um, couple of questions. What do you think he does at centre-back? I think Canate comes back in for me. I think that the fact he plays him in week and... It's just getting him back to match fitness. It was interesting, though, because he probably would have been available at the weekend, but he decides to go with Matip. I feel like that was a bit more like he just needs one more game to get 90 minutes out of him to see how he reacts rather than a tactical thing. I think in an ideal world, Van Dijk and Canate is absolutely his first choice centre-back partnership because the two of them, you see again last night, Curtis Jones is playing a bit of a makeshift right-back role and Canate has, has to cover so much ground, has to do so much, has to kind of get stuck in all the right moments and just never puts a foot wrong for me. So he comes in alongside Van Dijk moving across the back line it's Trent is the big question mark isn't it it's if he's fit it's been really interesting to watch 
every person come into that role play that inverted fullback role because we kind of expected after Gomez first half Wolves that experiment to be over we were like we're not going to see that same thing and Klopp's persisted with that whether that's been Curtis Jones by Chetich even did it as well Gomez obviously comes in does it I feel like that role now is so key to the entire system whoever is playing there but ideally it is Trent because no one does it better than him and Klopp's himself said find me a passer as good as him because it just doesn't exist and then yeah I think a lot of the team picks itself I, I wonder if Curtis Jones will start just because he does start and obviously his captain's team and plays right back do you think he maybe comes in and plays the entirety of the game I'm not so sure but then I don't know who takes his place and then for the forward line for me you're, you're just persisting with Nunes because he's just on fire at the moment Diaz on the left and Salah inevitably on the right hand side but it's just that one spot alongside McAllister and Sobosai in the midfield that I think is, is up for grabs but yeah Canate and, and Trent come back in straight away for me yeah, I'd, I'd go very similar to Harriet there. Um, I, I'm not sure the, the manager, though, will, in terms of Canate. I would 100% go Canate. I think you need him in this game. I think they've got they've got pace in the attack there. It's a recovery so, pace you need from yeah, him, I think. Definitely. But. And what if, if Trent is, or whoever's playing in that position, you, you know, where they end up on the pitch, you need that um, recovery pace for that position as well as his own. Um But I, I, I just, I've just got a sneaky feeling with Canate playing in midweek. And that Matip got a lot of plaudits from the manager last week. I wouldn't be surprised if he throws him in. Uh, I, I just wouldn't. Be, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, I don't think we know it, but Trent at this point, do we? I don't think we've got enough information to suggest whether he was back in team training. I, I think at the start of this week, but not fully integrated in all of the the drills and everything. He was just doing a little bit. Is that as far as we've got? Well, that that appears to be the yes. hell, of, hell of a game to even consider throwing him back into because he's missed a few weeks now. So I, I, I'd be surprised if he if his name was on the the, the team sheet. Um, so sorry what's your midfield three so mine would be what it was last week it would be McAllister uh, Soboslai and Jones however although the manager will play them in that order I think with McAllister as, as the six I think I'm I'm not sure that that as the season evolves I'm not sure that that is necessarily the best move. I think any of those three, by the way, could play the number six. They, a lot of times, actually, in the last game, suppose I was dropped so far back, yeah. they were kind of alongside each other and Gomez was further up the pitch than them. I found that so interesting mm. because, for me, it's like you said, it's that trust that any of them could slot into that number six role if he wanted them to. He trusts Curtis Jones clearly mm. to play in so many different positions across the pitch. But it seems to be McAllister at the moment, doesn't it? W- it's the I'll, one he's persisting with and trusts most there right now. It, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I worry potentially going to, to Tottenham's ground when they're uh, absolutely buoyant and they've got pace. They've got a strong midfield. We were talking about it before the show. We, you know, they've got a strong midfield themselves and pace and attack. And I, if I was... If I was an opposition manager, I'd be looking to target McAllister with a press. Um, so I think it's important that whoever does, if he does play six, I think one of Sabozlai, probably Sabozlai, but one of him or Jones is close by and does support because it's not McAllister's best position. It's not his favoured position. Um, he's doing a job for the team. Um, and I, I think because of that, it, it, Liverpool could be at risk at certain times over the course of the season of being caught out there. And this this is one of those cases in point. Um, up front, I think you've got to go with Nunes. I think you have to because, you know, he himself has got to ride that wave that he's on at, at the moment. And then um, I wouldn't... It'd probably be Diaz and Salah, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's not Diaz. I didn't think Diaz had his best game last weekend. Um, I thought he ran into a lot of of um, 
blind alleys and he held on the ball a little bit too much. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he if he did go someone like Jota. I was going to say Jota. He's like one of those that just he just always scores a goal, you know, out of nothing. Like he doesn't really need to be playing well, but he's a bit of a nuisance as well. But I, I don't I don't particularly like him playing on the left. But there is an underrated game, underrated part of his game when he plays there. He's not going to beat a man. Um, he is going to get into the box and as you say score but what he's very good at I think is coming short and holding up the ball and then can play from that position um, it doesn't work I don't think when he's got Gakpo alongside him because they're both trying to do the same thing and it kills the pace of the team but I, I think particularly away at Newcastle uh, in that second half I think, he came, I think he came off the bench I thought he was vastly underrated in his performance there I think he really helped turn that game um, and just linking up that play and he, he put Salah in a couple of times before before Nunes was getting in uh, and he was just given a bit of a foothold and I think Liverpool in this game might need someone to actually be able to hold on to, I don't think Nunes has gotten an awful lot better at that but I don't think it's a natural game and I think that having someone out of that front three who can come short hold and link play wouldn't necessarily be a bad option I think personally that the game's going to be won in midfield and that sounds like a bit of a cliche and an obvious thing to say but I think so in this case because it's such an interesting matchup that's why I asked what you think your midfield's going to be because um, Saar and Basuma who we haven't, we haven't talked about much has been abs- Basuma has been absolutely outstanding it's almost like being Musa Dembele X esque the fact that we you know we've been missing that player for so long a player that can literally take hold of a game he's got strength he's got balance he can see a pass um so you've got him and then you've got Saar what I was talking about and then the key I think is Madison how you guys deal with Madison because he, he almost plays a little bit different to all six of the midfielders that might be starting uh, sorry all, yeah all six he's probably the one that's maybe a little bit more on the you know roving creative mm. go anywhere you like sort of um, style of player so how are Liverpool how do you think Liverpool are going to deal with that I think that's well that's where the McAllister sort of question comes in in terms of whoever it is who's playing six and holding but I think Liverpool's plan will be that we'll try and dominate the ball that's why I think it's going to be a really interesting game because I think Arsenal were quite happy to cede possession a little bit to Tottenham a little bit yeah. and let them have it and see if we can nick it back in a certain area. I think Liverpool will do that up to a point, but I think as the first both halves were on Liverpool in every game they played have grown in terms of, with the exception of the first one, have grown in terms of dominating the ball. And I think Liverpool's plan will be we will have the ball. I think that's what's going to be so interesting though because you mentioned being Spursy earlier, but Tottenham have come from behind quite a lot this season and they've not they've not kind of let their heads go down when they have gone behind or had periods in the start of the game where they haven't been as good. And I feel like Liverpool have been the same. Yeah. Like both oh. of the two teams have been sides that have grown into it that maybe haven't had the best start, but then have ability over a 20-minute period to just completely dominate possession. And if it swings like that, where Tottenham have 20 good minutes and the Liverpool have 20 good minutes, I just think it's going to be carnage. whoever... Yeah, it's going to be carnage. <laughs> it's whoever rides that wave of momentum better yeah. and just keeps that mentality and that strong head. And, and you'd have to say, being at home, you, you have that advantage with the fans carrying you along those waves of momentum but the mentality perspective of this game is, is just going to be so interesting there's going to be so many goals in it I mean it could be a nil nil and totally boring but looking at both the sides and how they've come from behind how they've overcome challenges how Postacoglu already seems to have a that mentality of we're still going to be in it whether we're 1-0 down or whatever same with Liverpool gone 1-0 down so many times this season coming back to win 3-1 pretty much every time I, I, it seems to be 3-1 is the scoreline of the season I just think how that dynamic is going to play out 
it, it does concern me a little bit. I don't know about you, Shu, from a Liverpool perspective, that Liverpool will try and go a little bit too hard, too fast, because they know that Tottenham sometimes are susceptible to conceding in, in the early parts of the game. And actually, I think maybe taking a bit of the sting out of the game in those early phases will be important. Uh, obviously, as well. my worry is the, is the opposite, really. really? Well, yeah, just because I think Liverpool need to not concede in the first 10 minutes like they just yeah. seem to have done forever. Um, it, it feels like as long as I can remember, Liverpool have been conceding goals in the first 10 minutes. And it, my, my worry would be that if they do that with the feel-good factor around Tottenham at the moment, then they could be susceptible to another because the, the crowd are going to be right no, that's at what it. I'm saying as well, that Liverpool will go too hard in the first 10 minutes and then concede the chances. All oh, right. Well, no, kind of, yeah. see, see, my I don't know. My feeling has been, and it's interesting that you've said that, to be honest, because my feeling has been that Liverpool have not been going hard enough uh, and intense enough into the start of games uh, for a long period now. And it was interesting, the manager said last night, um, Klopp said last night that, again, we'd concede another goal early on, but it was a different type of goal than the ones before, so it's not really related to those. But I don't think it's necessarily a systemic thing while we're conceding in the first few minutes in all these games. I think it's a uh, it's an intensity, it's a mentality thing where Liverpool have decided as they become a more possession-based team, I think, to try and take Sting out of games and to feel their way into games and to grow into games. But I think the opposition are just flying at us in that first minute because it's almost becoming a, a, a self-fulfilling um, prophecy yeah. That you know, if you go at Liverpool and Liverpool take it easy, um, and, and it's, it's sending that wrong message to you know, when, the scouting reports of every opposition team must be that Liverpool get at them in the first 10 minutes, it must be. And we've been able to get away with that this thus far this season and turn it around to 3 1 um, so many times, but no one's put the second one past us. Mm. And and so we've got to make sure that that doesn't happen. And I, I, we the best way to to ensure someone doesn't score two past us is to make sure they don't score one past us in the first ten minutes. Um, if we get through that, I'm going to feel uh, you know a lot more confident about things. Well, Liverpool banked last night, I think, on Leicester not being able to play out from the press, and they they pretty much could mm. nine times out of ten they played out, and that's how they get the first goal. And, and that's my that's my worry with Tottenham. They've got players capable of counter-attacking so quickly and breaking the odd thing and I think this is as much about sort of fitness as anything else because yeah. the Leicester thing is for the first 10 minutes they can play out for the next 10 minutes they can play out a bit mm. for the 10 minutes that follow they can't get out but and Tottenham the aren't going to have that, but mental, you'd think that, that fitness wise you'd th well, that's the key question because I think West Ham stop West Ham become less efficient as the game wears on and I don't know quite what we're doing because it doesn't look like we're even running teams as hard as we did in 2019 but Sides, every side we played, Chelsea's a mad thing because it was the first game and it was all a bit weird, but every other side we played has looked really rather tired on 35 and really yeah. rather tired on 60. Yeah. And so that's the that's one of the key things here is that and then Liverpool turn the screw and then suddenly they were able to play through us earlier on, but now they can't play through us because but they why, can't. Why are they playing? See, that's what I'm, I, I'm trying to wrap my head around because that's really, that's, you can definitely see that in the first 10 minutes of games, we look, between our midfield and defence, we look like the gaps are everywhere and we're easy to play through. And I can't quite put my finger on, is it that they're just not aggressive enough in where the line is and being close enough together to, to kill that space I mean I could be talking absolute nonsense there is the mid, may, there's something not right maybe the midfield the that you, the fact that your midfield's almost brand new you know they're just getting to grips with opposition that they've never played against you know in, yeah, yeah. in, in most cases and almost like feeding the game out maybe you know that might just be a, 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 you know a, an observation but be, but know. second half FC are tremendous, yeah. honestly, and the, the forward line, oh, you're in all kinds of worlds. I've been there, mate. I've been there <laughs> in the first half, second half. I feel like a large problem in the in the first half or the opening periods of the game is just over committing to the press. I don't know if you, you've obviously done all the review shows yeah. and stuff. The fact that it just feels like there's 
too many players, too many lines of players, the forward line are committing, the, the midfield are so close together with them. And then if there's one pass that gets played through, they've basically just got the defense, yeah. defensive line to get past. And if they're a little bit out of position because Curtis Jones or Trent or Gomez is in that inverted position, then, the, then there's no cover. I feel like when we played, when we play against top opposition, one of the things we do really well is knowing exactly when to press and when to go. Like Man City game for Liverpool last season at home sticks out for me because they, did, they basically didn't press the front line and they waited and they were patient. They took their chance they knew when to go sometimes I feel like Liverpool against opposition that doesn't have those same threats they don't press as efficiently or at, at the same at the right time every single time and it leaves those gaps in behind I think there's a little thing where the they are they're looking to sort of commit to it early but it's before the opposition is still fresh. I think that's a big thing here. But also I think that the opposition's maybe tweaked one or two things and we haven't quite seen it because why would we? It's the first 10 minutes of the game and what's happening is we're getting quite badly punished for it because maybe because of an overcommitment, maybe just because it's a good play, maybe it's because. And I think this is the self-fulfilling prophecy thing flipped around. Like their opposition are going, our gaffers said we can get at these first 10. We're getting at them first 10. This feels great. Yeah. We're prepared for this. And I think that that's a thing that's happening. So the big first 15 sides are keyed up first 15. We can get at these. Oh, look, we're getting at these. They were right. <laughs> the plan's working. And then what happens is Liverpool manoeuvre, however they manoeuvre, they tie the opposition out. They look after the ball. They make the ball do the work for a period. The opposition are charging round. Now we pick the ball up now. We're in slightly different positions because Liverpool have moved us around. It's not quite as fluent. He's not quite where he should be oh god it's not quite working Liverpool have got the ball back they're all over us again and I think that that it, and it, so it spirals that way but I think in the early stages our, if you're the opposition to Liverpool plan's working great let's move on from there when I look at the comparisons between the title winning side and now uh, it, the, the first thing that um, pops out at me is the way you guys play when you're behind so you, like, you go 1-0 down and then you know you've got a score in the second half there's an urgency and a tempo that is completely different and it's a bit like how you would always play and start games in that title winning side where you'd have that urgency and tempo almost like you needed to score as soon as possible. You'd get two or three goes, goals and then you'd slow down and almost control the game. And now it almost seems like it's Reverse. a bit arse about face, if you get what I mean. Yeah, no, I, think, I think that's definitely been by design in terms of the manager has 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 evolved what he wants this Liverpool team to do um, towards the back end of his time with the previous Liverpool team, if you like, and now um, you know setting these patterns for, for 2.0. But just, just in the interest of balance here, because I don't want to just come across as a complete moaning arse about it, this <laughs> Liverpool team look, you know, in patches, in huge patches in games, look incredible and, and actually look even more, like they're potentially even more exciting than the, 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 the team that won the title and than won the European Cup. There's, there's, there's things that we're seeing there that look amazing and the midfield, the threat that the midfield is is providing is so exciting. It's What it is, is basically there's just one obvious thing to worry about and it's like how the defence is doing or how the team is, is shutting teams out particularly at the start of games and when there's just one obvious thing to be worrying about, <laughs> it's the thing that you're going to be worrying about all the time, yeah, isn't it? Sure. And I think, I think that's the thing. Uh, but I think as this Liverpool team grows and adds in one or two players in, in you know a couple of more transfer windows as well I, I think the sky's potentially the limit for it okay um, two questions I'm going to ask you for a prediction I'm going to start here would you take a draw I'll take a draw yeah take a draw would you take a draw <laughs> yeah just just <laughs> about um, but yep. if we got if we won I think <laughs> oh what it says about you know the season, what what could unfold this season, but I, 
if I take my head over my heart, I'll say yeah. Take a draw. Reluctantly, because I think these are the games where at the end of the season you look back on when we have we've come so close. And you're like, if we could have just picked up points there. But I think in the context of how the season is playing out so far, I'd I'd say yes because Tottenham are riding that wave of momentum at the moment. Well, okay, I'd take a draw. Uh, I think we're going to win. Uh, I think Liverpool will win the game, but I'd take a draw uh, because I think not losing games against the other top 10 away from home. Look is... at you taking the best of both worlds. No, 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 I'm going to ask you for I prediction think we're now. Gonna win, no, no, I'm going to ask you for not. prediction. No, no, no. I'm <laughs> so my prediction is I think Liverpool win the game, and I actually think that in a weird way, I think if Liverpool win it, they probably possibly win it quite well, uh, like a 3 1 or a 3 0 or something, genuinely. But, you know, I think that if Liverpool win it, there's a chance they win it quite well. Uh, and I think Liverpool will win the game, but I would take a draw uh, because I think Tottenham are in really good nick. And I also think, in general, you know, against the other top 10, Sides, I think a draw is always absolutely fine. I don't think a draw anywhere is fine. If you've got genuine pretensions, I think you want to get your 60 points or as close to it as you can against the bottom 10, home and away. But I think points on the road, I'm not going to start turning my nose up at them. Um, so it's very important to beat Wolves. If we hadn't beat Wolves, I wouldn't take a draw. But when I beat Wolves, beat West Ham, and I fancy us against Brighton as well. So I, I'm happy with four points from the next two uh, in there. Uh, and I think that we can get that. But anyway, um, prediction. Um, I'm going to go for 2-2 again I think I feel that it could well be the value bet uh, of the weekend <laughs> Liverpool win every game 3-1 ok I think it might be 3-2 it's very random to Liverpool to Liverpool to Liverpool or Tottenham ok um, I think it's going to be great I think my other prediction I think it's going to be a great game uh, I, I think it's going to be well. a really really good game yeah. of football uh, and that's also a reason why I sort of fancy us because I think we're going to win good games this season but we'll go from there uh, we'll move on to Aston Villa versus uh, Brighton. Um, Paul, Villa are surprisingly inconsistent, uh, defeated at home by Everton. Uh, it's only the League Cup. The home form in the league is imperious, but losing at home to Everton in the domestic cups is something that we need people not, not to get into the habit of. Um, they just are in a bit of a funny moment. Brighton have also got themselves knocked out of the AFL Cup. I suspect Brighton aren't overly disappointed by that turn of events, given uh, how intense the Europa League campaign is going to be. I think it's going to be an interesting game. I think it's certainly this. It's by it's the junior game of the weekend. It's the second most interesting game of the weekend by some distance. But I do think it'll be a good one to watch. Yeah, um, Villa made some good signings, and and you know. A lot of people fancy them this season to to do really well, and and they have been somewhat inconsistent, and they have had key you know, injuries to key players as well. That must be said. Um, I, I'm not going to lie; I haven't seen much of them, but from what I have seen, it's mostly the um, Europa League, which doesn't really give a fair representation because of the opposition that they're playing. But you know, he seems to have them organised. Emery, um, they're playing okay, but. You know, they need to get more goals from the likes of Watkins. Um, I thought we was going to see more from... Um, who's the lad they got in mid... Uh, the winger, the new guy? Yabi. Yeah, I thought I thought he'd explode a bit more than, than what he has. He started off really well, but... I think that's unfair. I think he's been so good. Really? Yeah. <laughs> he, to I, me, I, just really I, like I, him. I said on the first show that, well, the first time I saw him, he seems like a natural successor to Mane in a few years to come. That's that's how much I, I rated Maybe him. Maybe in terms of output in the past few games, he's been a little bit quieter. And I think in the, the game last week, and I spoke to a bit of fan Monday, and he was like, he was a bit quieter than normal but I just think every time he, he gets the ball he looks like electric. he could do something with it he's electric got so much pace he's so far such a good signing for them how old is he? I don't know uh, early 20s I would have thought in this time he's probably time. 16 plenty <laughs> of time to develop they're, 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 24 24 okay mm-hmm. They're, they're a bit of a weird team, aren't they? A bit funky, Villa, this season. Um, I can't really... They've underwhelmed 
I think, I think, I, think they, I was su- really surprised by the fact that they get beaten more so. Yeah. Really, really surprised that they and get beaten more so. Well. Yeah, no, I so think far he was Yeah, surprised. I, that was my that you know, there's been a couple where, you know, the the they were they, they weren't great at Anfield at all and didn't look like they had much of an idea as to what to do, which mm. is very unnai Emery. And then I was surprised they get beaten more so I'm surprised they get knocked out the AFL Cup by Everton. I genuinely am, you know, it's not just an Everton thing. I, I, I had a thought a home draw for for Villa against a, a side in the bottom half. Did they put up a decent team out? I'll tell you what the team was in a second. Uh, but the, the the flip side of that though is that, for instance, the the, the whacked Everton four 0 at home in the league and uh, Palace in the in the league game as well. They've won at Burnley and they've won at Chelsea. So yeah. they're not, you know, this isn't this isn't dreadful stuff, Stu. But no. I think it's I. It, the weird and it's weird because normally we do the absolute opposite. You think only about the league games and you don't think about other bits. But in this instance, I just sort of thought I thought Villa does have a strong other bit season, if you know what I mean. And yeah, that 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 almost other bits should be their target as much Euro- as that is. Europe again is going to definitely have a um, their, their participation in Europe is definitely going to have a, a, an effect on on their. Form. With with, with, yeah. with Emery's record as well, you, you'd be thinking that they would be prioritising that to some degree and, and looking to really you know um, make a splash in your f- season first 11, first 11 last night uh, they play Robin Olsen in goal which I feel as there wasn't a good move but apart from that it's Cash, Conser, Torres, McGinn McGinn plays left back Den Donker, Douglas Louise, uh, Leon Bailey Diaby Tielemans and John Duran so it's rotated but not it's rotated but it's not it's not, it's not rubbish it's is it it's strong yeah he brings Watkins on at half time for Duran Zanolo comes on for, Zaniolo comes on for Bailey on 31 so there must have been a knock he does two others at half time he does McGinn for camera which feels as though it will have been programmed and he does uh, Luca Dean uh, for Den Donker so it's these aren't mugs these no, aren't bums yeah, it's quite um, a squad, really, and I'd, I'd like you know they'll feel as though it's it's been a disappointing one that one I think it's fair to say uh, from them but they've uh, definitely got more squad depth than they, they did last season in terms of they've not just got the 11 players because last season I thought the 11 players who started games were really really good but they didn't have quite as much quality to change games off the bench and I think they did do well in that this season uh, over the transfer window but I feel like like we've been saying they probably haven't started the season quite as consistently or strongly as, mm. as they once to I mean that the Chelsea game was the first one where it's not been like more I mean there's been five, six goals in the first game they played four in the second third three three in the fourth four goals again like there's only been one game they played with only one goal in it like everything seems to have gone kind of quite inconsistently the one Warsaw way games or another. And the Warsaw yeah. games 3-2, yeah. Like they're either scoring quite a lot or conceding quite a lot and maybe they just haven't quite found that balance yet. And maybe like you said, Paul, playing in Europe, having a few different competitions to contend with has got something to do with it. It changes how you're able to prepare in the week, how you have your sap and training, you know, the days you get free and all of those kind of things. And maybe that's a bit a bit difficult. But for, for an Emery side that usually looks completely organised, completely with a plan, sometimes they have looked a little bit devoid of that. But having said that, they have still got really good results and are sitting quite high up on the table still, I think, aren't they? So it's not. I think Brighton and Villa will still be the two teams that are the disruptors to the top traditional top four, top six, they still be the two teams who are pushing that pack and, and raising the level. So it's going to be an interesting game. It will indeed. Uh, also, at uh, 3pm, uh, Bournemouth play Arsenal. And here is James Roach on Bournemouth. I'm joined by James Roach to talk about his beloved Bournemouth, who, James, at the start of the season, it was a new era. It was likely to be full of possibility. And football has done what football sometimes does do, which is it's given Bournemouth a lot of good performances or good moments or good halves, but not many results. Is the concern yet or is everyone still quite calm? Still quite calm, I think, the majority, um, because of the positivity of the performances. You've started to see the change in 
approach, the high press. There's been some real positive moments in in all of those games. Um, I think there's a if, if you look at those six games last season, lost every single one of them with something like a minus twenty goal difference. Uh, we're minus six and we've got three points. So it's progress. And I think that's why generally there's still lots of positivity. This early, this this seven match run at the start of the season was was just horrendous. And we knew that was going to be the case. So as I said to you last time we talked, as long as we're not cut adrift after those seven games, I think we're then in, in good shape as long as Iriola had put his stamp on the team. And I think we, we're really starting to see that now. It's worth pointing out, isn't it? You know, you've said about this 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 run of the first seven. This one is game seven. So next weekend, it's Everton away. Uh, it is an away game at Everton, let's be clear. But then it's home against Wolverhampton Wanderers. It's home against Burnley. Uh, there'll be a League Cup game actually now against Liverpool that will get lashed in there before a tough one against City. But then another home after that. It does feel as though this this has been a horror start. You know, it's been it's been Brighton, Tottenham, Liverpool. Chelsea, uh, all thrown in there. So it has been a horrible start, hasn't it? Yeah, totally. And and also West Ham and, and Brentford in in good form, you know, where we got we got a point against each of them. We got a point against Chelsea, good performance, probably could have nicked that, probably could have yeah. nicked it against Brentford. Um, I think a, a draw was a fair result against West Ham. I think against Liverpool, we acquitted ourselves well, taking the lead as well. Um uh Brighton took the lead. Uh, so you know the only I think the only real game was was Tottenham where we just we we weren't we weren't in it if you know what I mean but um, but to have only lost that two now I think last season we'd have lost that four or five so yeah get that get those seven games out of the way and then as you say decent little run of games Everton we love playing uh, Wolves at home I think we get something that you know there Burnley at home I can see us getting something there that it does obviously though because we're going to be you know, I'm not expecting anything from Arsenal. I'm expecting a bit more of the same. We're competitive. We compete well. It's a decent game, but I'm not expecting us to pick anything up. But it does mean, though, that October it is pressure because if we don't yeah. turn up against Everton, we don't get anything against Wolves. We don't get anything against Burnley. Then, then I think, then I think there'll be real frustration and and, and alarm bells going. But I can't see it to be honest because I just think we've we've offered a threat. We look good at the back. They're starting to look like a proper team now as well. So uh, I'm I'm hopeful. Yeah, get this seventh game out of the way, then I can see us going on a bit of a run. It it would be sort of befitting of the season, as you said before, about this idea that against Arsenal, it'll be competitive, it'll look good. There'll be a lot of progressive football. One of the things that struck me was I had a look at your, your, your pass map from the game against Brighton and... Two of Brighton's players in the starting eleven are in the Bournemouth half, uh, and six of Bournemouth's players in the starting eleven for the full ninety are in the Brentford. Sorry, are in the Brighton half, and yet Brighton win the game three one. And my point about this is that Arsenal, I'm sure the players know, and I'm sure the coaching staff know, but Arsenal are in for a game where they're going to be pushed back and pushed back and pushed back, and it's going to be about finding a way to withstand that early pressure and then do what these other sides have done, which is then be able to sort of take the game away from Bournemouth. Are you worried about fitness in that regard? Are you worried that that could be a problem? Not, no. I think I was early part of the season because we had so many injuries. We had something like seven players out. They're all coming back now. Um, Tyler Adams was on the bench in midweek, came on for the last 20 minutes. 
Um, I, I think really the only player we've got out now is Alex Scott. There's a concern about Dom Solanke. He picked up a knock against Stoke. So that that would be a huge miss. But I think he he's used the subs really well and particularly across the across the, the pressing players. So the the high midfield, the wingers. Um, Dom Solanke has pretty much done the 90, but we've got so many options across there now. We've got we've got three decent players in each of those positions. So uh he does tend to change things up around the you know 60, 70 minute mark. So I think um no, I, I, so far fitness has looked really, really good. And we have you know, thankfully, touch wood, we haven't picked up any knocks but for Solanke, but it doesn't look anything too serious. So now I think he's I think he's had a really good preseason with them. They all look sharp. There's been some real standout players that love this press. Um, so so yeah, I think Arsenal will be in for a hell of a game. Brighton first half, we were dominant. You know, we we made them look. You could see what they were trying to do, but we scored a goal on the press. Um, Ryan Christie is just like a man possessed at the minute. He just <laughs> he's even better than a Duracell battery. Um, so I, I can just, um, I, I think if we can do that half like we did against Brighton, we were then our own worst enemies. That was a problem. Silly own goal that was just, a, you know, a bad mistake, bad judgment. And then the game turned because Brighton got their tails up. We hadn't switched on in the second half. And that's where I think, that's where I think a side like Arsenal will pick us apart. It's that slight lapse of concentration and they've got the quality then to, to move away from it's it. It's worth what you're saying there. For me, there's a game management point. I thought, for instance, it took you at Anfield, go down to 10 men. I thought, listen, I thought Liverpool were really, really good for the 10 minutes after the red card. But I thought it took you a bit too long to pick up what to do now that you're playing against 10. Against Brighton, it's worth pointing out to listeners, you concede an own goal on the stroke of half time and then concede the goal to make it 2-1 about 30 seconds after the restart. And that's that's the game management point he needs to get into them, isn't it? You know, they've got to they've got to pick the moments to be very, very intense. If they're doing it all the time, they can be punished. That's exactly it. And he's come out and said that, you know, we've got to do this better. We've got to compete better. Because I think the focus has been about, right, what's our style of play all about? What's our identity now? But actually the 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 shift in mindset's got to be let's get a result, you know, okay, brilliant. Let's play really well. Let's do the press, but let's get a bloody result. And I think that is what he's, that's what he came out on, uh, you know, after the, after the Brighton game and said, because we could have won that game. We could have really, uh, at 45 minutes, we were, we were, we were dominating that match, which was a hell of an achievement against a Brighton team that are phenomenal. Um, so yeah, game management is going to be is going to be really really key, and it will be a good test to to try that against Arsenal because I do think we'll have a spell, and it's inevitable really with the way that we play. We'll have a spell where we are dominating, and it's about then making them making those moments pay, and then being able to manage the game. Which I, at the moment he hasn't got right with them, but I think it will come. Okay, uh, one to look out for then on match of the day on a Saturday. Look out for uh, for Bournemouth's early early chances, bit of domination before Arsenal take the game away. Is that fair, James, or am I being flippant? You are being flippant, Neil, but I'll let you off. <laughs> You're far too kind. Uh, let's get back over to the rest of the show. Great to speak to James. Uh, the other three PMs on the Blues, Stu, Everton, Luton, feels like a must-win for the home side. Not a bit mad to say off the back of the fact that they've won two on the bounce, Everton, but... I think by the end of this campaign, everyone, anyone who doesn't beat Luton at home, I think will be feeling as though it was two drop points, three drop points. I think that's the way in which it's going to go. 
Um, it's not me being rude, it's the reality of the way Luton's season's gone so far. And Everton are suddenly looking in half-decent shape. It's a good time for them, this game's come. And they win this and the table approaches healthy. Uh, played six, seven points on the board. Yeah, two, two weeks ago, I think Everton fans going into this game would have been riddled with anxiety. Not because they necessarily thought it was automatic that Everton were going to lose, but they would have been thinking that, what if we do? What it's if very Everton to lose this, yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden, there, there is a bounce uh, there. Things just seem to have, have clicked um, with the additions that the, the uh, manager's made. And Cavaloon's come back into the team as well, and he makes a massive difference. And, and they need to capitalise on this bounce. They need, I, I, I agree with you, they need these three points. I think the balloon bursts if they don't get these three points because the fans are absolutely they're marching into... To, to, uh, the game, the old lady, absolutely. They, they, hundred percent are. There's been a, a shift in mindset, but it's, it's still fragile. It's still fragile. They've, they've got to do the business here, and they've got to do. Uh, they got next um, Bournemouth. Yeah. I think if they get four points out of those two games, they'll be happy with that, and the things start to look a little bit more secure for them. If they get six, um, then it's going to be dead hard shutting them up at work, isn't it? <laughs> 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 Indeed, it's uh, for Luton, Paul. I'm, you know, I'm struck by that the minute the Luton Sheffield United problem that I think the league's going to have. Uh, because you've got to screen teams a certain number of times, and there's a chance, there's a chance that everyone's going to be looking at it by February, and they could both be cut adrift I think it's you know I, I don't want to be right about it because I think you can think we get up we get the money we go back down we rebuild it's a long 38 games for your supporters that and at the start the supporters are made up and yeah, they're sort of bought it, into it, it and everyone's it making the noises after a while. I think it, we're, we're approaching the sort of point where people begin to look at each other and feel a bit like God what there's another 30 games of this we're not far away from that yeah, I think I mentioned it last time that it's 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 a bit. I feel a bit sorry for Luton and Sheffield United. Yeah, same. Um, it, it's almost like unfair. It's, it's, they almost like seem to be in Luton's town catapulted from like League Two into the Premier League. That's what it seems like. The club as a set up, and I don't mean that no disrespect to any Luton fans. I just mean the infrastructure, uh, and it's it's absolutely marvelous that they got to where they've got to. But I don't think it's helping them too much, and. Um, yeah, um, Sheffield United, I think, is a different point because I think what might happen there is they'll probably make a change managerially uh, if it keeps continuing to de deteriorate. But with Luton, I think they're probably going to stick by their manager, which is admirable, but I just, just don't see the quality um, around there to to compete with in in this stellar Premier League the way it is now. With the top six, and then you know another four or five sides that are, are just you know are very dangerous as well. So the um, sort of ones that are lacking in quality are starting to stand out really bad. I almost feel I said this before that Burnley, because they've got a progressive manager, progressive owners, and they've got they seem like they've got a plan to where they're going. I think that it, it's not as I don't think it would be as bad for them. I think they might acquit themselves a little bit better, but. Yeah, I do fear for, for Luton. Uh, and if Everton can't beat Luton, then um, I fear for Everton too. I mean, you talk about feeling, talk about the infrastructure and feeling a bit sorry for them. You only have to look at the transfer window and the fact that they broke their record fee, I think, three or two or three times. And that was with a fee of less than, well, I don't know the exact figures, yeah, no, they're, they're, they're less than 10 million yeah, or, or yeah. whatever it is. And that's, that's them pushing their boundaries to as far as they can go. And then you've got teams in the league spending upwards of 100 million on one player. You know, it's so difficult that the 
dynamics that they're working within. And there is a difference, though, isn't there, between a Burnley side who look like they're kind of growing into the season and a Luton and Sheffield United sides who just look like they're going to struggle throughout. And it, it, what, what can they do? Like, what can they do from here unless they have a really good January? With I think they're just going to have to try try their best it's difficult though and it's, but it's rubbish getting whacked on, yeah. on telly do you know like it's one thing to get whacked it's another thing to get whacked on telly Harriet and that's sort of what, because what will keep happening to Luton and Sheffield United is they'll pick the televised games where they're playing against the bigger teams mm. and then they're going to be playing against the bigger teams they're going to be on telly and they may well put up some stern resistance and listen we go there and before we do I'll be nervous about it Luton you know we're on the telly for, against Luton in November and I'll be nervous about it but if Liverpool go 1-0 up after 20 minutes You'll just sort of feel like, well, we know what the, what happens here now, was and it, that's was it eight no was Newcastle the other day, yeah, that yeah, was Sheffield yeah. United, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That was the, the, uh, four thirty on Sunday. Mm. Uh, let's have a lovely let's have a lovely day at the football. Uh, seven goals later, good God, could do without this. It's so hard, and all you're thinking as well is like someone's got to ask them the questions afterwards, and sometimes that's me now, and I feel really horrible about it. <laughs> <laughs> They're not in a very good mood, and like they've got you know mentally, it's a really difficult place to be in when you're when you know that your mates are at home watching that. Like it just is. They're humans as well, aren't they? they're footballers they're professionals it's their job but there's no way you don't take that sense of pride and that hurt with you and, and then you try and say okay Monday's a new week we're going to go into it with a fresh perspective but wow that's difficult after an eight like it's like us going to motel on a Sunday night and thinking right Monday's a new, new week day, but new. We, we don't feel like we're on the start of a new week on a new day it's I, difficult I do it? think they're going to have their day like they're going to have one one day oh, a few yeah. days I, think both. Turn. And I hope it's not against us in two weeks <laughs> time after I've just said that they've got no hope but I suppose that'll give them something, won't it, to uh, to, to to cling on to that they're going to have a few days out. Um. The overall the overall quality of the league that I think, and this is why I feel sorry for 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 both of those clubs, uh, Sheffield United as well as Luton. But the overall quality of the league, I think, is as strong as I can ever remember it. Definitely, the, the, from you know, one to twelve. I think yeah. even, I think I think what's doing them in even like Wolves will probably finish fifteenth, mm. and Pedro Neto basically scores against Luton on yeah. his own because he's that good. <laughs> and in the end, that finishes one one. They don't get whacked but they're down to 10 men they get a contentious penalty yeah. they're not pulling them apart when no, they're down to 10 nobody men nobody wants to play Crystal Palace you know no they've no. got Eze Eze's you know you go every, every one, team's got, got a, one person yeah. or like an, there's, an, there's an, only about four there's only about four teams where you think I'm not sure who I would take from, from there even as a, as a squad player Ever, yeah. Everton are, it brings me a lot of satisfaction to say Everton are amongst that but, um, but Calvert-Lewin's great but Calvert-Lewin's if, Lewin's on great. if he's on the pitch and I suppose there are there are some teams in the upper echelons who would look at Pickford um, you know United have been linked with him before haven't and stuff so Onana but, maybe yeah but but it, looks a good player yeah, but, you know yeah. and, and I know you said about Burnley as well before Harry I mean they do look but the thing is with Burnley they look credible you know the, the, what they've got is they've got recent history in the league sustained history in the league but they've also got this you know the, this glamorous um, very intelligent very likable manager um, who's won the league and says he's gone he's gone abroad he's you know he's he's done bits there in Belgium and he's come back and you know people do you can imagine that dressing room do look to him with that real as, as a credible manager and with real authority he can carry that room and he can carry that team somewhere you do think that they they potentially the season progresses that they'll grow into it you, there's more hope there than there is with you so if if there's if if I've got one eye on any possibility of Everton going down, it's it's because I'm looking at Burnley going, please, if anyone could do it, you know, you might be able to, to get well, out of that situation. They've got Newcastle away on 
Saturday. And the thing about Burnley Stew is so far, God, it's been a tough, it's been a tough run of fixtures. Oh, uh, yeah, like genuinely, it's feels, brutal. Yeah, it's been like, ridiculous. Welcome back. It's it's absolutely mm-hmm. horrible. And the game they had, which was possibly winnable away at Luton, got postponed. It got postponed yeah. until Tuesday coming up, but it got postponed at Newcastle Stew. It's going to be another one of them, really, where. The one thing that I think works for them and against Newcastle is they will take Newcastle deadly seriously. They'll know that they've got to cover up against them. They'll know, they'll know how to do it, but I just really struggle to see uh, them getting anything from St. James's Park. Strange things have happened, though. I think, you know, the, the two results that that Newcastle have just have just come out of, you know, to, to whack eight, eight past someone and then to beat City, um, you know, sometimes it can feel a little bit underwhelming, can't it? Playing, uh, playing a Burnley of this world, it can feel a little bit you know, after the Lord Mayor's show. And I've, I've seen things like that happen before. I don't think Newcastle are fully, fully formed yet as a colossus of a team. They've got flaws. Teams will find it over the course of the season. They won't be perfect um, by any stretch of the imagination. So you never know. It's unlikely, but it's it's not beyond Burnley to go there and think we can get a point out of this. Uh, we'll move ourselves on. United Palace uh, re- repeated from the League Cup game, Paul, which is just unbelievably grim in a oh, way. God, I hate it. Uh, it's, it's rubbish when that happens in general, but I almost these feel, this feels like one of the worst possible fixtures for it to happen in. Manchester United versus Crystal Palace. Again, United are on a, got a nice little run of fixtures coming up. I'm expecting to see them surge a little bit up the table. You would think so. I think the um, addition of Amrabat is going to make a difference for them. I think he's... Um He's a very good, uh, he's not just a good interceptor of, of, of play, he's a good playmaker. He can, he can tick, a game, uh, uh, tick a team along nicely and I think he'll be a welcome addition, unfortunately, for, for Man United. And yeah, you would expect them to win, but as a, we talked about Palace earlier, they are a bit of a wild card side that could turn up on their day. Um, they've got pace uh, and skill all over that pitch um, and if Man United aren't on their metal... Um, you know, Palace could turn them over or at least get a point. Um, with Palace going there, uh, Harry, it's, it'll be a little bit different, obviously, from the the game that they've just they've just had uh, effectively against United, and that they'll pick a it'll be a different lineup uh, for them, and they'll, they'll they'll look at it a little bit differently. But you do sort of feel like the algorithm's in full effect at the minute from Hodgson. They've played six, they've won two, they've drawn two, they've lost two. Um, <laughs> another 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 bank of three begins. Uh, where uh, they've got Manchester United this weekend, but then they've got Nottingham Forest at home, um, and then they maybe go to Newcastle and get a point. This is the um, it's 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 all there for them in quite a classic way, Palace. So it w- it will be a change side, but it'll be a bit of a change side for for Manchester United as well. Obviously, um, I sort of just think United win this game because the Palace thing is happening because the algorithm has to tick tick through and that's what's next on the list no I actually I kind of disagree I think that Palace might have a bit more to say about this game than they did in midweek obviously with the change side and all the caveats around it being a different competition but I also just think Manchester United they're still finding their feet this season I know they're definitely better than they were a couple of weeks ago and look like they found a bit more consistency but I still think their fans would say they're quite far away from being looking like a well-oiled unit. I just, I just think they've got gaps and they've got areas where Crystal Palace can get at them. They've had a bit of a practice midweek. It's not worked out very well at all. But I think they'll look to the weekend and think they can rectify it at least somewhere. And I think they might look to get a point out of this one, although it will be difficult. I, I think United at the moment they just look like a madhouse. Mm. I just, I've, I've got no sense from one week to the other what they're going to come up with. I, I agree with you, Paul. I think Amrabat's a, a really good sign and for them I think he's what they've needed and this is based on a limited sample size of the World Cup uh, to be clear um, but 
I think, you know, from what I saw of him there, he had uh, a real energy, a, a, a presence about him, very tidy, very physical, um, dominant in his... Um, um, in his ability to 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 run the midfield, I, I saw like a a real leadership from him that would would be um, contagious around the team, and I think United need that. You know, you look at the players, the, particularly the the mindset that they, that dressing room seems to have got itself in, time and time again over the last few years. They need someone who is, regardless of what's going on around them, is going to be sending out those right messages um, and chasing down every ball and not giving up the fight. And he just he just seems like one of those types of players. Um, but, you know, you say all that and it just doesn't seem like it's a lot of fun at Man United. It just doesn't seem like the players... It doesn't seem like they like it. They enjoy playing for the manager. It, 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 I have no sense. The manager's now, he's over a season in. I can't tell you what a Man United goal looks like other than, other than um, Rashford cutting in um, from the left-hand side and lashing one in with his right foot, which he was doing long before this manager. I have no sense of what a Man United goal looks like. I've got no sense of what a good Man United performance looks like because I don't think they've strung enough of them together. I'm not sure what the patterns of play are. Um, it's just a really... But they've got enough good individuals to, on their day, win a game. Um, and that's why I just think they're mad as a box of frogs. You can't predict. So they could win, they could lose. And then that's where they Um we saw West Ham last week, Harriet. I thought that they were a good side. Looked really, really good. Sheffield United this weekend. Do you think that one to be straightforward for them? Yeah, it has to be. <laughs> basically, basically, yeah. No, so has to be. West Ham are a really good side, and they struggled in the league last season with Europe as well. But this season doesn't look like they're going to struggle as much in in balancing both competitions. They've just quietly got just a really not even quietly. They've just got some really good players. It's mad, isn't it? It's, it is. You go through their team, and you're like, how are they not? competing way higher up the table every year because I think some of the players they've got are incredible caused us a lot of problems in, in periods of the game I think they'll be far too much unfortunately for Sheffield United yeah last one Paul uh, of the Saturday 3 o'clock as Wolves versus City I mean it might at least be interesting in a Rodriless universe uh, City looking a little flawed against Newcastle it's not a universe a, you want to live in is it well, not, well, well, well it is and it isn't well, it's a universe I would love to live in yeah. uh, love to live <laughs> in because I think it would make a profound difference over the course of 38 games I think it's a little different with Wolves away being the first one without him that said Pedro Neto again excellent footballer can hurt you has hurt every team he's played this season I'd argue and Wolves can do bits and pieces in the middle of the park. It's just back to what happens again when Wolves played Liverpool, was they just didn't look they had 90 minutes in them. And I think that's the thing that I think will do for them against City. Yeah, they are a very bitty team, Wolves, and, and playing fits and starts at the moment. There doesn't seem to be any consistency to their game. Um, with the uh, Rodri thing, I actually, I'm one of a believer in Calvin Phillips, believe it or not. I actually think he's a really, really top player, and I think he's very underrated, and people... Even though he, he's whenever he's played for England, he's kind of never let England down. Um, he's kind of been pigeonholed into this almost like holding midfielder that hasn't got a lot more to his game. But believe me, I saw him a hell of a lot at Leeds, and you know he he can pass the ball. He can really can pass the ball. He he's um, he can do a lot of the stuff that Rodri does. But you're talking about Rodri as probably one of the best in his position in the world. So, you know, obviously he's, no one's going to match up to that. But I think Calvin Phillips is big, good enough for City not to miss him. And I think they've already shown with the, the losses of De Bruyne and you know various other players this season, they just continue as normal. Nothing really seems to, to affect them. So I don't really see that changing anytime soon. 
Yeah, I can't see. I mean, somewhere along the line, someone's going to take points off Manchester Manchester City. So it's, 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 it's got a lot, lot of averages. They're going to at some point, but you don't see it coming in this game. Um, but, you know, Wolves gave us a little bit of a fright um, at the start of that game. You, you, you never know. I can't see Neto. If, if, if Kyle Walker fit? Um, uh, I think so. He wasn't on the bench the other night, uh, but I think he is. Uh, oh, no, he wasn't on the bench the other night. Yes, he is fit. Yeah. I can't see Neto getting much change out of him. I think that's probably the thing that just but he might play the other like. side. He played. He played both right and left for them at some points this season. He was on the right against Luton uh, as it wore on because when they went down to ten, but he gets his goal from the right hand side against Luton. Maybe then if he does that, because I, I certainly don't see him get much change out of Walker. And without Neto having huge impact on the game, I struggle to see where Wolves' way home is. But you know, I think City have won what six six in a row. Is it? Yeah. So I think our rec- we hold the record for the most wins from the start of the season, which is like, I think we did it in 61, 62. I'm going back sometime here. <laughs> but I think it's like 11 wins from the start of the season and City are well on course to do that. I bet it, it'll probably work out that we play them on the 12th game um, at their ground or something. But yeah, I'm sure that's the case. So that should be interesting to see how that pans out. Will indeed. Uh, anyway, uh, last one is the Sunday game. The Sunday game sees Nottingham Forest uh, entertain Brentford. Uh, earlier, I spoke to Rich, Ferra- Rich Ferraro on what I think is a really important game for Forest. Nottingham Forest entertain Brentford on Sunday at 2pm. I've got Rich Ferraro with me uh, from uh, 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. It's available on so- Sports Social uh, and is very much worth listening to. Uh, and it is... A funny start to the campaign, uh, to be honest with you, Rich. You know, it's an excellent win on the road at Stamford Bridge. It's a solid enough win against Sheffield United, which arguably could have been, uh, could have had a degree more solidity. It's having scared the life out of Manchester United and Arsenal on their own turf, but not quite got a result. This is, you currently sit 12th, Brentford currently sit 13th. This is a bit of a bellwether game for the season, I'd argue, in that, this is exactly the sort of thing for if Nottingham Forest are going to have the season they want to have. This is the sort of game that needs to be a home win. Is that fair? Um, it's very difficult to say because, like, if you look at our, you know, in, at home we we beat Sheffield United as you mentioned, and the most recent home match was a one-all draw with Burnley. And I'd say that we're probably expecting four to six points out of the Burnley and Brentford matches. So yeah, it puts the pressure on a little bit for for this weekend's game. Um, going back to the point that you made, though, in terms of Forest having a sort of an up and down start to the season. Well, the fixture computer hasn't been kind to us. Absolutely not. Those, those away <laughs> matches, um, you know, Arsenal, Man United, Man City. Um, but we got the win at Chelsea, which was a Brucey bonus. And what I'd also say is that I think for many Forest supporters, we're realistic enough after last season to know that what we're looking for is progress. We're not looking necessarily to storm the league. Brentford have done astonishingly well since they got promoted. I don't think many clubs will be able to do that. No, I think, and if you're looking at the other clubs that are where, you know, Brentford being one of them that currently sits at the bottom of the table, one of the reasons why three points at the the weekend against Brentford would be so important is, I think, that idea that it just means more and more that's none of your business. I think that's. I don't think it takes much, not least because of the, the level of those clubs. And listen, Burn, Burnley and Luton have still got to play each other. Uh, that's the game in hand that is to come. So after next Tuesday, the table will be a little bit more honest in it. But 
if ultimately after Sunday, Nottingham Forest are sitting on 10 points from seven games, then the absolute worst case scenario looking the other way in terms of what's at 18th, there'll probably be a seven point gap. And there's a reason why sides end up with not many points and seven point gaps are actually quite substantial. And that's what I mean. Like this season can quite easily be a season you can build on a nice season of, of, of solid football, but it's these games at home to Brentford are the ones where you've got to make a bit of hay and put the points on the board. Yes, I'll qualify that by saying that our record against Brentford in the last two, three years hasn't been amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I would also say that, you know, I, I agree with your point in the sense of the table isn't very important before about December time, unless you are getting stranded at the bottom. Um, and having said that, it looked pretty bleak for us in the period leading up to December last season. And then we had another period where it was pretty bleak after January, but Forrest ended up okay in the end. So I completely agree with you. It's a it's about the accumulation of points to put yourself in a safe position. But with that caveat that, remember, nothing's decided after six games, nothing's decided after 26 games. It's only really what happens after 38 that's what, what counts. What is exceptional about this Nottingham Forest side? We've yet to see... Uh much in this regard from Burnley uh, over the course of the season in Sheffield United and Luton just don't look like they've got it is that from four Alanga, Gibbs, White, Hudson-Odoi Iwaniwi that is and there's cover for those players as well uh, to a degree that is a that is a front four of a of a side that, that should be upwardly mobile uh, you must be excited about getting to see them Absolutely so you know it's one of those things Last time uh, we were chatting we were talking about Brennan Johnson going but Forrest have probably got a stronger front line now than they had before by adding, adding hudson Adoy and uh, Alanga. And like you say, with with some a couple of other options, Divock Origi, your old, your old mate there, um, could be a super sub for Forrest. Who knows? Let's find out. But yeah, I think we've, we're looking good up front. I think the, the difficulty um, for last season actually was probably transition. Uh, and in that respect, by signing Sangare and Nico Dominguez, and as well as having Ryan Yates still there, as well as having Aurel Mangala still there, I would hope that we've actually got a strong squad with balance throughout positions in the team, which is probably one thing that with even with, you know, 21 first teamers signed last season, we never quite had that. Yep, that's becoming clearer and clearer and seeing the way in which Forrest are playing as part of that. I want to talk about and touch on the centre-backs because they are... And have been very sort of no-nonsense stopper types. But he's got a bulk of them. And do you think he knows his best two? Is, do you think that could end up being Felipe? Do you think it could be a back three? What do you think? He's got a bulk of these centre-backs. What do you think his best two is? And what do you think the, the two he should run with is? Um, objectively, the best pair of centre-backs as a pair would be Felipe and Niacate. Niacate is an absolute Rolls-Royce of a defender. He's unfortunately had fitness problems like he's never had before in his career in the last year and a bit. Um, but he played the other night and yeah, he's 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 a he's a touch of class. He's got the ability to bring the ball out as well as defend well. Felipe, um, obviously big physical presence, a big character as well on the pitch, even though his English isn't amazing. So objectively, they would be the best too. But at the same time, you know, we saw Joe Worrell step up. Um, you know, Joe Worrell and Scott McKenna are both capable of having absolute nightmares, but then they're also capable of having very solid games as well. Are they Premier League standard? Not yet. 
do I think that either of them could become consistent Premier League defenders? Possibly, especially Worrell. Uh, last little thing then uh, is with an eye on on the game uh, coming up at the weekend, this one against Brentford, is about Iwaniwi, who, again, at the minute, Alanga uh, gets the attention. You mentioned Origi in cover because that's a laugh, all of that sort of stuff. And it's it's always good to see Divock around the place. But having that number nine, number nine of that quality, able to lead the line in the way in which he does, disrupt sides the way in which he does, I think he'll be a big, big... He's exactly the sort of player at the minute I saw Brentford against Everton and they missed that sort of forward in that game. Uh, and also, they didn't. Brentford didn't like Beto and they didn't like Calvert-Lewin. He should have a big role to play, I think, on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, and what that does, it, it, it brings us back to the point that you were making about having a front four... Um, in the home matches, and actually Brentford are a really good example of this. Brentford in tricky home matches or in away matches, they'll often move to a back five yeah. or a back three, whichever way you want to look at it. And then they'll put more emphasis on attacking in the home matches, which they see to be winnable. I wonder if Steve Cooper is going to move to that kind of model and therefore he's going to put a little bit more attacking emphasis, knowing that Brentford have their weak spots. They've also had their injury problems at the back. Um Big T is obviously a big presence and people are recognising him as being a Premier League number nine. And not without reason. It's not just the goals. It's his all-round contribution. And the assist he did for Hudson-Odoi in the game against uh, against um, Burnley was a, a case in point where he used his physical presence. He often looks a bit clumsy, but he actually did a very good chest down and layoff, which enabled Hudson-Odoi to score that absolute cracker into the top corner. So, yeah, there's, there's lots to be positive about. I think the bit that we've maybe glossed over is that Morgan Gibbs-White looks knackered to me. And he's not really had a break. He played for the under-21s. He's yet to come oh, into yeah. form. So we're looking for him to just, hopefully he's had a little bit of a break and hopefully he can come back and do stop, avoid doing that thing, which he's done a couple of times so far this season, which is trying a bit too hard and, and trying to do the Hollywood stuff. If they all do their jobs properly, we've got a very exciting forward line now. Indeed. Uh, you'll be able to see them uh, on Sunday up against Brentford. Thank you very much to Rich. Do check the podcast. Let's get back over. Great stuff from Rich as ever. Uh, I think that could be a wobbly one for Brentford. I think Brentford are having the first mild, sticky uh, period since they've got promoted to the Premier League. Uh, I think it's one to watch over the course of the campaign and I think they are now in the point where they are missing Tony. But uh, we will leave it there for today. Thank you very much to Harriet, to Stu and to Paul. It's been the Friday show. See you later on. Podcast Network.